Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, picking back up with us in week two of the series, Who is the Church? Where we're just taking four weeks and really looking at different pictures in the scriptures of the church and who we are and what we're supposed to be and how are we supposed to live. Uh, because the church isn't just a place we go to, right? It's not just a building that we attend worship services at on Sunday morning. The church is the people of God who are called out for his plan and his purposes and really understanding that plan and those purposes uh, can be difficult sometimes. And so that's why scripture gives us uh, these different pictures to help us better understand who we are and how we're supposed to live. Uh, last week, if you were with us, and if you weren't, you can go catch up uh, on the website or Facebook. Uh, the first picture we saw of the church and who the church is, is we said that the church was foreigners, right? We were a group of foreigners who were living in a land that really isn't our home. And we saw this in Hebrews chapter 11, where we saw this exemplified in the life of Abraham, who by faith followed God, left all he'd ever known, went to a land he was promised, and lived there as a foreigner, a stranger, a transient. But what we saw is that wasn't just true for Abraham. That's been true from God's people from uh, the very beginning, and it's true for us as the church today. This world is in our home. We are here temporarily, and we're not to hold on to it too tightly because we have a better home that's waiting for us when this life is over. Well, this week, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, but we're going to see another author of Scripture use a very similar framework to help us understand who we are as a church. Uh, he's going to give us a similar picture in this framework, uh, but really, it's going to come from a completely different angle, and it's going to have very different implications. Uh, here's what I mean. While we are 100% foreigners and temporary residents in this world, that doesn't mean that while we're here, we don't still have a purpose. In fact, while this world is not our home, it never was supposed to be our home, we are supposed to live as ambassadors of our true home and of our true king while we're here. So it's that same picture that this world isn't our home. We're still foreigners in a distant land, but we have a purpose as foreigners to serve as ambassadors. So if you got your Bibles with me this morning, the scripture we're going to look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, while you're turning there, let me kind of give you a little background. Uh, the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote this letter, wrote it to the church in Corinth. This is at least the second letter, maybe the third letter that Paul wrote to this church. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the only the second one we have recorded in the scriptures. Uh, but Corinth was really... Man, it was, it was a problem church for Paul. There were a lot of stuff that they didn't understand. They weren't living how they were supposed to. They weren't being the church. And so Paul is writing these letters to encourage them to be the church. And it's here in this letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we get this picture of the church as ambassadors. So if you have your Bible, we're going to pick up reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 16. This is what we read. Paul says, from now on then, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. 
Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has continued, has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this passage is really one of my favorites inside of the New Testament, really my favorite for sure in 2 Corinthians, uh, because there's a lot of depth here and there's a lot of implications for you and I, especially uh, as we see ourselves as God's people, the church here on earth, and really that idea that we are, though foreigners, living as ambassadors. Um, and that comes from that clear picture in verse 20, right? Look at verse 20 again. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Very clear. Uh, but verse 20 begins with a very specific word. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, I had a Bible professor tell me one time that anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to find out what the therefore is there for. Uh, the word therefore in the New Testament carries a lot of implications. Really what the word does is it's, it's saying, you know, because of everything we have just talked about, this thing I'm about to tell you is true. And so what, what Paul is saying here is, yes, we are 100%. We are ambassadors for Christ, but we are ambassadors for Christ, and that is rooted in some deeper truths that he begins to lay out and unpack, starting in verse 16. So when we back up to verse 16, we get several uh, foundational truths that help us understand not just what we do as ambassadors, but how and why we are ambassadors. So, so let's back up all the way to verse 16 uh, and look at a couple things. The first thing Paul tells us, in verse 16, is that now as the church, as God's people, our perspective on Jesus has changed. Our perspective on Jesus has changed. Uh, the first thing that I think he means by that is that what we know about Jesus has changed when we become a, a part of the church. Uh, so for instance, there are a lot of people today who believe that Jesus historically existed. Uh, and the truth is, many of those are atheists. Now, without a doubt, there are some people who believe that Jesus is totally fictional, never lived, uh, but those people are few and far between and not very well educated because it is almost undeniable historically that the person, Jesus of Nazareth, born of Joseph the carpenter, that he lived on earth and had a significant impact on Israel, the Roman Empire, in the Middle East during his time here. And, and so while it is wildly accepted that widely accepted that Jesus existed, we know now that he didn't just exist as a historical figure. He didn't just exist as an important person. Jesus himself was more than a man. In fact, we believe as the church, God's people, that Jesus was God in the flesh. The one and only son sent from the father, full of divinity, wrapped in human flesh. But we even know him a little bit different than that because while there are a lot of people who understand Jesus was a historical figure who really existed, 
I'm afraid that there's just as many people who might think they are Christians today and might attend church regularly on Sundays who don't understand Jesus as anything more than an abstract, uninvolved deity. What I mean by that is they believe he existed, and they even believe that he was God in the flesh, but they don't believe that he has any real impact on their life, that it doesn't matter how they live, that they can do what they want, believe what they want, and as long as they tip their hat to the good Lord upstairs, that everything's okay. And so what Paul is saying is that those of us who know Jesus as Savior, those of us who are now adopted into his family, those of us who make up the church, we know him more than a man. We know him as more than an abstract deity. We know him as the Son of God sent to save the world. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. But even beyond that, it's not just what we know about Jesus that has changed. It's how we know Jesus that has changed. Paul says very clearly, he says, you know, from now on then, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. So what he's saying is this, it's not just that we know about Jesus, but we know Jesus. We don't know about him as a historical figure or an abstract deity. We know him personally through a real and intimate and personal relationship, a relationship that only comes through his spirit. See, it is the word of God made alive by the spirit of God by which we know Jesus and come into a relationship with him. Scripture tells us that uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Jesus himself says, no one comes to me unless my father draws him. So it is the drawing work of the spirit, the revelation of scripture that come together to help us know Jesus. Not just know about him, but know him personally and experience that relationship with him. So what Paul says is, the foundational truth is that our perspective on Jesus has changed. We believe that he's the son of God sent to the world to save the world from their sins and that you and I can have an intimate, real, personal relationship with him. And then because of that relationship, the second foundational truth we see in verse 17 is that through that relationship, we have changed. You and I, the church, we have, we have been changed. We, we have been made new. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We have been made new. We have been given a new birth. We've been given a new heart. And, and listen, this is important that we understand this is more than just getting a fresh start. I think so many people think when they come to know Jesus as their Savior that they get a fresh start on life. They get to try again. They get to be a better person. They get to have a redo on their mistakes. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not just saying that you get a redo. Paul is saying is that you are made new. You are given a new identity. Once you were alienated from God, you were an enemy of God. Now you're a child of God, part of his church. He says you're not just been given a new identity, you've been given a new future. All those sins uh, in your past, those mistakes, those failures, that brokenness, they're gone and remembered no more. Not just your past sins, but your present sin, your future sin, washed away. We are made brand new. So we know Jesus 
And through knowing him, we are changed and we are made new. But then he goes on to say, you need to understand, it's not just that you've been changed, you've been changed by God. Look in verse 18. He says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So our new future, our new identity, those that have come to us, they haven't come to us by our own efforts. They haven't come because we're better people. They haven't come because we've tried harder. They come to us as a gift of God through the work of Jesus on our behalf. We know Jesus. Through knowing him, we are changed. And that change is a gift of God that he gives to us. And another gift that he gives to us, the fourth foundational truth, is that we've been given a ministry and a message. Keep reading verse 18. It says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So, so here uh, is the idea. Since we know God and he has changed us in our relationship with him, now he desires to use us to bring that same change to others, right? He has changed us. He wants to use us so that he brings that change to others. And Paul makes it clear that it is God himself who is changing and bringing the change to people. And what he says is, is that he is reconciling the world to himself. Now, we're going to talk about that idea, that word, reconcile, here in just a little bit. But what he's saying is that God is reconciling the world to himself. And so now he has given you and I, the church, a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. Uh, that ministry is that you and I would be the hands and feet of Jesus. That message is that we would be his voice to a lost world in a foreign land. And so after understanding that, 16 through 19, we come to the therefore. So therefore, what he says, because of our new understanding and our new relationship with Jesus, because of our new identity that we've been given in Jesus, and because of God's continued, present, reconciling work in this world, now we are ambassadors. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So then, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be an ambassador? What does it mean for us to be specifically an ambassador for Jesus? Well, I think Paul says it pretty plainly here in verse 20 when he says, We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It means that we appeal to others, we plead with others, we plead with citizens of this land that is not our home to be reconciled to Christ our King. Well, I think now is probably when it's an appropriate time for us to unpack, okay, well, well then if that's our message and that's our, our, our mission as ambassadors, what does it mean to be reconciled? So we got to kind of have a little understanding of a few things to really get the implications of what it means to be reconciled. Uh, first of all, we need to understand that our sin has separated us from God, has separated us all from God, and has separated us from a right relationship 
with God. Now, if that's kind of a foreign concept and you're not sure what I mean by that, instead of taking a lot of time right now to unpack that, let me encourage you, go to our website, look back on the Facebook page, look for our last sermon series we called Sensitive. We spent four weeks talking about this idea that sin is serious, sin is deadly, sin breaks our relationship with God. And so what that means is, is that now because of sin, the world, the people of the world who don't know Jesus as Lord are not just living in a different country, not just living in a foreign land. They're living as citizens of a different kingdom. And literally they are at war with God's kingdom. I think that's an idea that we, that we miss. We, we think, well, I may not be a Christian, but I'm not anti-Jesus. I'm neutral. There, there is no neutral There is the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of this world, and they are at war. And if you're not a member of Jesus' kingdom, you are a member of the kingdom of this world who is at war with God, an enemy of God. Matter of fact, Paul says to his letter to the church in Rome that those of us who don't know Jesus as Savior are enemies with God. And so then, with that idea in place, reconciliation is is the work of God whereby he puts an end to that hostility and he establishes a peace, a right relationship between his people and himself. And so our role as ambassadors is to end this land that is not our home, our temporary residence here on earth. We are to plead with the citizens of this kingdom to lay down their arms and to be reconciled to God, finding peace by the blood of Christ. Okay, what does that mean? How how does that reconciliation happen? What does it mean to find peace through the blood of Christ? Um, Well, good thing. Again, Paul's really clear. Look at verse 21. He says, he, that he is God, made the one, that is Jesus, God made Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what Paul says very plainly is that the way that you and I as members of a kingdom at war with God, the way that we are reconciled is through the work of Jesus in our place. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called this the great exchange. You see, when when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, what we mean is not that Jesus came to die on the cross so that God would say, okay, it's not a big deal. Or that Jesus died on the cross so that we could start over and get that fresh start we talked about earlier. No, when we say Jesus died on the cross for our sins, what happened is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless, obedient life to his Father. And yet at the end of his life, fulfilling his purpose on earth, Jesus was crucified as a criminal on a Roman cross. And in that moment where he was nailed to that wooden beam, whipped beyond an inch of his life, placed with a crown of thorns on his head, when he was enduring that pain and that torture, something invisible happened that is the most significant moment in the history of the world. While on that cross, the sinless Son of God took on the sin of the world, and in a very literal spiritual sense, he became sin for us. 
so that in becoming sin for us, God could pour out the full cup of his wrath and judgment on Jesus. And in so doing, Jesus died. Now the good news is, when Jesus died, having carried the weight of our sin, the burden of that sin died with him and went to the grave. But yet because of his sinless obedience to the Father, three days after he died, God, as a showing uh, and recognition and affirmation of the perfection of Jesus, raised him from the dead, and Jesus walked out of his own tomb. And so Paul says that's the good news of the other half. Not only did Jesus take all of our sin, all the punishment we deserved, all the judgment and wrath that God would pour out against our sin, but in the moment that he walked out of that tomb, now he offers to us his righteousness and his perfect obedience before the Father. That's how we're reconciled. Jesus literally took our place and our punishment so that we might take his place and have his acceptance. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become, not might as in maybe, but that we could become the very righteousness of God in Him. And so that is the message that we plead to the world. Be reconciled to God. Turn to Jesus. Let Him take your sin's punishment so that you might get His perfect reward. It's big. It's a lot, I know. If you want to talk more about that, we'd, we'd love to have that conversation. But let's just pause for a minute uh, and, and regroup and summarize here. Um, so this passage that we just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 to 21, um, there, there's some big truths in there. Uh, number one, that God is the driving force behind the reconciliation of mankind. That God is at work in this world by his own initiative right now reconciling a world at war with him back into his kingdom. And it's his initiative because he's the offended party. He's the one we've sinned against, so he's the one who's taken the first step. The second truth is that God acted through Jesus' death to bring about this reconciliation and Jesus alone is our only means of reconciliation. That's he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that number three, God continues to act and work toward reconciliation in this world through those who have already been reconciled. Now this is really the point of today is that you and I, who have been reconciled to God through the death of Christ, having trusted Him as our Lord and received forgiveness of our sins, we now have the privilege and the responsibility to share that message, that message of our homeland and our true King with those who are still His enemies. We plead, we implore, we cry out, we beg others to lay down their arms, to end their hostilities, and to be reconciled to God. That is who we are as ambassadors, and that is how we live. That is the role of the church here and now living in this foreign land we call earth. So, just kind of putting a bow on it for today. So what? Number one, you need to know if you are 
uh, a forgiven child of God. If you've been reconciled to Jesus, you have been given a new citizenship. And we talked about that last week. Your citizenship is not on this earth. Your citizenship is in heaven and in his kingdom. But number two, you've not just been given a, uh, a new citizenship. You've been given a clear mission. While you are still here on this earth, even though you belong to another land, you are to serve as an ambassador here, pleading, begging, crying out with others, be reconciled to God. And then finally, let me leave you with this encouragement. You've not just been given a a clear mission. You have been given divine authority in that mission. Don't miss this because it can be overwhelming to think that this is all on our shoulders. And if it's on my shoulders to serve as this ambassador, I'm not going to do a good job. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fall. I'm going to fail. But listen to me. You've not just been given a mission. You've been given a divine authority. Don't miss it. We said at the very beginning, talking about verse 16, that the Spirit of God within us enables us to know Jesus in a new way. But he does more than that. The Spirit also gives us the authority and the power to see this supernatural reconciliation actually take place. Let's just look at one more piece of this really quickly. Go back all the way to verse 20 where he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Now look at this. Don't miss it. Highlight it. Underline it. Whatever you do. When he says, Since God is making his appeal through us. Listen. When you live as an ambassador for your king, by the spirit he has given us living within us, it it is as if God himself makes his appeal to his enemies through us. Now, this does not mean that we have a 100% success rate of people being reconciled and converted. No, you're going to be an ambassador. You're going to plead, and sometimes they're going to reject it and walk away. But even though it doesn't guarantee a 100% success rate, it does give us a 100% confidence that we have been given a mission and that we have been empowered for this mission. And though we are ambassadors, our king is not in some distant land uninvolved. Our king is with us every step of the journey. And it is he who makes his appeal through us. And when that person lays down their arms and ask God to be forgiven, it is he himself who brings new life. So as the church, let's not just be foreigners. Let's be ambassadors. Let's not just wait until we get to go home. Let's take as many people back home with us as we can when this life is over. Let me pray for you. God, again, thank you for the time you've given us today to look to your word, and I pray that it would challenge us. I pray that it would encourage us I pray that we wouldn't just see ourselves as foreigners who live an unattached, isolated life until our time here is done, but that we would see ourselves as ambassadors, engaging with a world who is hostile to you with the message of reconciliation by the blood of Christ. God, help us to see the lost come to faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.